The Lord be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for sending your son into the world to teach us how to live. I thank you for giving us your word, Lord. And I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're speaking to us this morning. And uh, just be with us as we're here together in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. It's kind of a long passage, so I just want to reread three verses. So starting with verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You Have you ever noticed how preachers have these really great stories a lot of times, like their sermon illustrations? tend to be personal in their lives and they're like really great scale. And sometimes, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but sometimes for me personally, I'll be a little bit intimidated by the story or I'll just think, man, I wish something that cool would happen in my life. Uh, typically, these stories are on airplanes. I don't know why. Be where they always happen. Like they get on and they notice something in the person's seat next to them and so they start up a conversation and you know, on this five-hour flight across the country, they talk about God, and they talk about every issue that this person's ever experienced. So that person becomes a Christian that day, receives the Holy Spirit, goes on to become like the world's greatest evangelist. (laughs) Meanwhile, me personally, every time I get on an airplane, I'm like, hey, have a good flight, earbuds in. Like, that's my instant go-to. That's how I feel. And so a lot of times I'll just feel you know, almost a sense of shame or, or whatever, but these, these preachers always have these really great illustrations. However, sometimes illustrations for a sermon or a good illustration for a sermon actually are uh, a little less uh, awe-inspiring or maybe a little less, uh, I don't know, <laughs> interesting or uh, they feel a little less, uh, I don't know, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they feel a little bit ordinary, but they're a little less, uh, you know, I, the illustration for today's sermon is not going to make me seem like I'm a hero that could save somebody on a plane, basically. But it is a good illustration for the sermon, so we'll move forward. Um, so every week, everybody that's part of the College of Preachers here at the table, we meet on Mondays, we have a, a coaching call. And uh, we'll kind of review the past week's sermon, but we'll also go over the outline for that upcoming week's sermon. So obviously this past Monday was my week to go over my outline with the group. And uh, I didn't have very much on Monday, but what I did have was actually not right. It was, uh, <laughs> now I should say it wasn't, uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I, I, don't, I don't think anybody thought it was heresy. It just was maybe a misinterpretation of the good news that's actually in our text for this week. <laughs> Um, and if you know me at all, you know that I like to have it together. I like to, you know, I would like to put a brave face forward. I like to seem very professional. You know, I want to be a pastor. So especially when it comes to preaching a sermon or coming with my sermon preparation, I would like for everybody to be like, wow, that was a really great outline. (laughs) Man, this guy really does have it all together. Um, 
but we didn't get very far into the call before we were like, uh, I don't, you know, I, a couple of people on the call kind of mentioned, I don't know if the text really is supporting what you're saying. I mean, what you're saying is true, but I don't know if that's in this story. Um, and so that was, you know, I, I could feel the seams of my, like the veneer of my life of, of having it all together kind of starting to widen a little bit so that the cracks could show and people could see what was going on behind the scenes. You know, this facade of me having it all together, they were exposed, you know, I was exposed as not being perfect, not having everything together. Um, and that was, you know, it, it hit me pretty hard. It, it's uh, at times like that, I I'm pretty thankful that my face pretty much always just looks like this. Like when I'm when I'm super embarrassed, this is what I look like, and like when I'm just like super thrilled, this is what I look like as well. So on the call, you know, I felt like I was really red-faced and you know maybe a little bit flustered. And everybody on the call knows me probably well enough to know that it was like, oh man, it might be an interesting week for Spencer. Uh, but I think you know I think I probably looked like I was all right. Um, Anyways, with that being said, I was confronted with that at the beginning of the week. You know, I, I read this text, and it's not a, you know, the good news that's in this story is that, you know, Jesus came and he healed this blind man. And he not only wanted to heal him of his physical blindness, but he came to heal people of their spiritual blindness. I mean, it's pretty right there. It's on the nose. It's not hidden or nuanced and hidden in the text. Um, and so I started to kind of wonder why I, I didn't, I mean, I saw that. In, in review, I saw that that was in the text, but I just very quickly was like, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's fine. It's good that Jesus came to heal people of blindness, but like, let's put that over here. And let's find something that feels like better news for me. Let's find something that I'm, you know, I find more palatable or something that everybody universally will recognize as true. This just doesn't feel like it's hitting home with me for some reason. And so I continued to consider that. And the more that I thought about it, I mean, it was pretty easy to see that the reason that I didn't like it is because I was actually feeling like I was uh, identifying with the Pharisees' position in this situation. I'm not physically blind. I'm not sitting in the streets begging. Um, you know, I think that I have it all together. I don't think I have it all together. I like to believe that I have it all together. I like to believe that I know what I'm doing, that I don't need somebody to heal me of my blindness. And so that good news the, that Jesus is, you know, in the midst of our spiritual darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, is with us and he wants to reveal and heal our blindness, that sounded like bad news to me. Like, I don't really want you to reveal my blindness. You know, I think I'm doing, I'm doing all right. Uh, so it sounded like really bad news to me. And if we're not careful, sometimes we brush off good news and, and think of it as being for somebody else. You know, well, they, they maybe need to hear this, but I don't need to hear this. This isn't for me this week or maybe ever. I mean, I've never been blind before. Um, I think a, a few of the reasons that I felt that way as I identified this good news and kind of put it over to the side in search of better news is because I have a, a deep need to feel like I'm in control. I have a, a deep need to feel like I have it all together or to at least put on that I have it all together. Even in the moments where I feel like I don't, I would like for everybody around me to believe that I know what I'm doing, that I've got it together. I have an aversion to needing help from people, even from needing help from Jesus to heal me of my spiritual blindness. I have an aversion to weakness and a deep desire to be right. A lot of times this kind of manifests in different ways, but I think ultimately it manifests in a fear of how we're perceived by the people around us. 
because we all know that nobody's perfect, and yet we still feel that pressure to put our best face forward so that people will see us as perfect or, or see us as having it together. So I, th- I think looking at this text, what comes out to me now is that the biggest fear is the social implications that the Pharisees are feeling. Uh, you know, it starts off very simply. Jesus is the light of the world. The disciples, they're starting off by asking, why is this man blind? Is it because of his parents' sin or is it because of his sin that he's blind? And Jesus just cuts straight to the core root of the issue. And he doesn't need to get into this extra debate. It's inconsequential, not important. He just cuts straight to the point. This man is blind, which is obviously a bad thing. And he needs to be healed. He needs to be able to see, which would obviously be a good thing. Everybody in the whole world would acknowledge that it would be better to see than be blind. But sometimes we get caught in the weeds and we start trying to figure out why he's blind or you know, what it would mean for him to be healed or what does it mean if he's healed on the Sabbath as opposed to a different day of the week. But this man was blind and Jesus healed him. That's a good thing. It's bad to be blind. It's good to be healed of blindness. And sometimes when the light is in our midst, we have a tendency to shut our eyes and then still curse the darkness around us. The Pharisees were so worried about the social implications of what it would mean for Jesus to be going around as a prophet healing people, that they couldn't celebrate this miracle of God, that this blind man, this man that was born blind from birth, they couldn't celebrate that he had been healed because if he had been healed by a true prophet, what would that mean for their standing in the community? And sometimes I think that the Pharisees get a bit of a a bad rap. Uh, For instance, growing up in grade school, I went to a Christian school, and uh, (laughs) it wasn't a very deep teaching on Pharisees. In fact, how we remember the difference between Sadducees and Pharisees was that the Pharisees were not fair, you see, and the Sadducees were sad, you see. So (laughs) a little bit of maybe just building them up as a foil to Jesus and to Christianity. But ultimately, you know, Pharisees had the best of intentions. They were the spiritual leaders for the community. I mean, they were trying to lead people closer to Yahweh, closer to God. Uh, However, this text reveals that they had started to identify their role in leading people also with their social standing and what it meant. So at some point, it became more important to them to have these followers as opposed to just leading people towards the truth. And people can still follow. I mean, they would still have people following them, but the main thing became having followers. What struck me this week in, in going over and over this text is more than the Pharisees is the man's parents. So their son that was born blind from birth receives his sight. And when they're brought in and questioned by the Pharisees, they're so aware of what the Pharisees are doing and what the implications would be if they were to endorse this as being a work of God, as you know Jesus being a true prophet. They're so aware of what that would mean for their social standing in the community that even they won't give a straight answer to the Pharisees. Their son that was born blind, he hasn't been able to see his whole life, was just healed. And the most important thing to them was still making sure that they had the right standing in community. I mean, I can't imagine if I had a child that was born blind and they were healed, how much we would be celebrating. I mean, I wouldn't really care about any type of social thing. I don't think. But they got so in the weeds of what it would mean for their social standing that they couldn't celebrate that miracle. In the midst of our spiritual blindness, Jesus, the light of the world, is ready to reveal and heal our blindness. This manifests in a lot of different ways in our lives, Uh, maybe in an impersonal way that we all are aware of. Sometimes 
will refuse to admit that we were wrong when we said that reforming healthcare would be easy. Sometimes we just can't admit that we said that, you know? And it feels nice to say that, you know, because I'm saying like them over there, like they said that. But on a more personal level, have you ever had an argument with your significant other where somewhere in the middle you felt the point of realizing you were in the wrong? It kind of popped up and then you just let it slide by without <laughs> acknowledging it. You just kept going with it. What are we so afraid of in admitting that we're wrong? Why are we so afraid to say that we don't have it all together? What is it that we think admitting our blindness will do to us? In reality, there's no penalty for admitting that we're wrong. Everybody knows that nobody's perfect. Everybody knows that you guys aren't perfect, that marriage isn't easy, that raising kids isn't easy, that jobs and managing life and balancing everything, it's not easy. But we still feel that pressure to act like we have it all together. What do we think would happen if we just openly said, we need help, we're not perfect? Everyone is wrong sometimes. We're all spiritually blind in some way, and we all need the light of the world. In the midst of our spiritual blindness, Jesus, the light of the world, is ready to reveal and heal our blindness. Often when Mal and I get into an argument, it starts over a really small detail about something, usually something that's unimportant, but we both start to dig down. We dig in, we plant our heels in the ground, and then, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes later, an hour later, by the end of it, whenever we decide it's over, we usually can't even remember what the argument started about. I don't know what we're arguing about, but I am a thousand percent sure that you're wrong and I'm right. I know what's going on here and you have no idea. My first inclination a lot of times is to dig in and defend myself, whether it be an argument with my spouse or in other areas. For instance, if I feel like somebody's questioning my marriage or my parenting style or the decisions I make parenting. That's a pretty common one. Uh, I instantly, instead of saying like, oh man, I wonder if this would work or I wonder if I could do that better or whatever, thanks for your advice, but I don't think that'll work for me. Instantly, I'm just like, no, the, the way that I do marriage, the way that I do parenting, that's the best way to do it. I don't need anybody's help. Even though I know that I'm not a perfect husband and I'm not a perfect father, that's my instant gut reaction. That's how I also feel if somebody is maybe being critical of the way I do my job, which often doesn't happen really. But if you feel like somebody is doing it, it's still, I still have the same reaction to, to dig in and defend myself. Even if I know I'm not a perfect realtor, I'm not a, a perfect preacher or pastor, but still my gut impulse is to dig in and defend myself. Jesus is the light of the world, and he came to reveal things that are already true about us. He's not bringing up new things. These are things that we maybe are aware of or maybe we're unaware of, but they've been in the dark. They're already real. They're already true about us. And he just came to expose those and bring those into the light. An important truth about this text that I think we overlook because we give the Pharisees kind of a bad rap is that Jesus had the same desire to heal the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees as he did about healing the blind man. They just wouldn't step into it. They couldn't admit that they needed his help. He didn't come to show how foolish they were and to heal the blind man. That wasn't exactly how it had to be. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus coming in and asking questions of Jesus. He came to reveal and heal their spiritual blindness, not just reveal it and walk away and say, you guys are dumb. That's not why he came. So 
He came to heal their spiritual blindness, but they refused to step into his light. How does that apply to our lives today? How does that apply to your life today? What if you knew that you could step into the light free of shame and you could know that Jesus would heal you of your spiritual blindness? What does this look like today in your life? What is your gut reaction to being called spiritually blind? What areas of spiritual blindness is God revealing to you this morning? In the midst of our spiritual blindness, Jesus, the light of the world, is ready to reveal and heal our blindness. Here in a minute, but we're going to take a second and just reflect and let the, the Spirit speak to us and just let Him reveal areas that maybe we, we are spiritually blind and then we can, we can take some time to pray that.